Hello and welcome to Farmland. As we get back to a more familiar and normal way of life following COVID-19 restrictions, in this programme we'll take you along the journey to the United Arab Emirates where the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue, recently led a Bordbia trade mission to look for new markets. Also in this programme, I'll be joined in studio by our panellists Richard Halloran and Kieran Fitzgerald to discuss rising input costs and inflation. But first, the new Common Agricultural Policy, or CAP as it's known, has been signed into law for 2027. I'm joined now in studio by MEP for the Midlands Northwest, Colin Markey, a farmer himself, to discuss CAP and the impact on family farms in Ireland. MEP Markey, Colm, thank you for joining us on Farmland. First of all, Colm, can you tell me what you feel has been the outcome of the latest CAP negotiations in terms of family farms in Ireland? Well, I suppose the big change with CAP versus previous CAPs is that whole drive towards the environmental agenda and the like of eco-schemes. That would be on one side, and I suppose the other, the other big element of it is the whole area of convergence, where, if you like, a... The, the, the payments have been levelled out and I suppose in that scenario obviously enough there will be winners and losers and I suppose it means that certain parts of the country where maybe it would have had a historic high profile in terms of productivity probably are going to lose a bit and other areas are going to gain so that may I suppose has always been a point of contention I suppose among farmers that like it, it has the capacity to divide one farmer against the other and that's, that's obviously a concern that's there I think the the that alongside the idea of the eco-schemes and I suppose the eco-schemes are going to bring a new challenge and in themselves also bring a certain amount of convergence because there will be a, a similar payment no matter where you are in the country or what your farming style is for your eco-payments so that will be, be a flat element of a payment so all that's going to move the figures around a little and it will impact some farmers positively and some farmers negatively and I think that obviously those who, who lose out will be concerned and I suppose particularly in the like of a beef sector or some of the more the, the sectors that are more challenged it, it may put a little bit of pressure on in terms of a, the you know a viability and I think that's that, that would be one of the concerns. And could we have got a better deal from Europe? Well, I think if you look at the overall package, initially, before we'll say the whole COVID scenario came into play, there was talk of a 17% cut in, in, in the cap. Um, by virtue of the, the, the Green Deal or the, the, the effort to reinvest in, into Europe, there was, and there was additional funding uh, found that brought that, that margin back to, I think, it's 2 or 3% of a cut in the... So in terms of the overall package, I think we've done quite well to hold on to, to what we've had. I think the one concern I'd have about that is that's for the period of this this cap but in the next cap, round of cap that that that's if you like a temporary gap that's filled whether we'll be in a position to fill that gap in in five years time is a concern and i think that's one of the things that that that, that would be a concern about i think equally within the eco schemes we have to make sure the eco schemes are are available and flexible for farmers to take advantage of i know initially there was only five eco schemes put on the table here in ireland and there was a, a number of additional ones which i think was very welcome like all that's going to the commission now for review and the, the, this 12 months essentially of this year to, to review that and the suggestion is there will be there will be like dialogue with them in the department in terms of where that's at i suppose ireland in fairness was one of the countries who got their strategic plan in on time whereas a number of countries i think six or seven of them and some significant countries within that 
it didn't and uh, whether that'll have any impact or not I don't know but certainly the the, the convergence is going to be something that will be relevant to farmers on the ground the eco schemes are and I suppose the other thing that's there is is a drive towards uh, organics now the, the the funding towards organics is, is increased fivefold there's a European ambition to get 25% of land to be organic now in an Irish context when you're only on a couple of percent that's an enormous difference but we ch- we challenged the commissioner on that at the time and he said well that's a European st- uh, target it's not a national target the national target I think is 10% so in around there anyway and I think the thing we drove uh, and made it quite clear to the commissioner was very important was that it had to be market led there was no point in swamping the the organics market and undermining the producers that are already there so it's about establishing an organics market and then building the the productivity to match the market that's there as opposed to just setting a headline figure and uh, and without without the market supporting behind that and Colm, you mentioned there that we did well to hold on to, I suppose, the overall funding package for the cap up to 2027, uh, given that they were mentioning a 17% reduction. But with the, I suppose, the oncoming regulations that are coming in terms of climate action, uh, 2030 and 2050 and so on, was it not, I suppose, short-sighted of the EU in that sense then? If they wanted to bring all of these extra climate action measures in and they only still maintained the same cap funding, despite you know, all of these new environmental measures going to be costing farmers a lot more to implement, you know, extra cash, I suppose, that farmers on the ground don't have, particularly at the moment. I think this is a very important point because there, there's, there's, if you like, two elements to this whole scenario going forward. There's what farmers have traditionally done to get the cap. It was, if you like, it was a support towards productivity and it was certain requirements in terms of environmental standards. Straightforward things that were doing in the farm. There is a whole additional level of what is probably coming down the tracks in terms of environmental responsibility. But then there's the whole conversation about carbon farming. And I think we have to be very clear that carbon farming doesn't get subsumed into the cap because ultimately it'll be more work for the same money. And what we have to make sure is that carbon farming stands alone and the ambition in terms of reducing, a, obviously sequestering carbon, but equally reducing other greenhouse gases and other even biodiversity measures for what they call an enhanced carbon credit could be could be accessed, number one, through, like we, we did a discussion with this the week before last, I did a webinar on it, but uh, that initially, if you like, if you like, EU money or state money to come into it to kickstarting, but it has been a position to access private money as well. But the point is within that, we cannot allow a conversation to develop that allows that just fall in under the cap as eco schemes. And I think that's the key thing. There needs to be, and in fairness to the Commission, they accepted, and they we challenged DG Climate, they accepted this is a different revenue stream, this is an alternative scenario. It involves bringing private money in as well, so it has to be a different beast, a different vehicle. And I think that's so important because if we don't do that, you'll end up just what you're saying. We don't end up in a situation where farmers are being asked to do more and more for the same money. This is an alternative stream of income that has to be established and not just be subsumed under the cap. That is a great idea and it's idealistic. But in terms of carbon sequestration, particularly in Ireland, are we just playing catch up here? It doesn't seem 
that the likes of Chagas have enough information yet or have enough data or research done on this. We seem to be on the back foot in terms of the data that we do have on this to try and catch up and you know, make it a credible and viable way of trading credits for, for the farming community. I wouldn't altogether agree in that. I, I, I certainly the information is not there at the moment, but I don't think Ireland is particularly far behind other countries on this. I think, in fact, Ireland be recognised as one of the three or four countries most advanced in terms of the work they've done. A lot of work has been done in the last 18 months or two years in terms of trying to put, I suppose, indicative figures, number one, but, but then uh, put the science behind the figures of what, what carbon can be sequestered and what mitigate. The other thing is what carbon can be retained in the soil and on peatland soils as well. So there's a lot of work gone into that in recent times. And certainly from talking at the European level, Ireland is no further behind everyone else. And it is going to be a couple of years before that, that, if you like, that the, the, the science is on the ground and also the legislation, the framework at European level is on the ground. The fear I'd have is that we get too far ahead in cap it, it, without giving recognition and expecting people to do more for the same. I think that's what we have to avoid, that we have to make sure that we get the timing of this right, that the efforts that farmers made, that they get recognition for them, that if they're going to make changes and it's going to impact on their farming, that they get recognition as part of that. And if we, like, eco-schemes are very important and they will do, a, they will make some changes. But the level of investment that's going to be required from farming, farmers is going to require more money. And I think that has to be, we have to get the timing of this right. I wouldn't say that Ireland is, is particularly behind. I've like, checked out where other countries are at in Europe. And in fairness, a lot of work that has been done in recent times, particularly by Chagas and indeed by other private sector operators as well, in terms of profiling what's on the ground, in terms of identifying what carbon is sequestered by grassland and hedgerows and equally what's been em emitted from our peatlands. And the suggestion is that those, some of those figures are going to change and maybe be not as, as negative as they are currently being presented. So to get that science right is very important and then to build a framework to... To, to match it and by the sounds of it talking to the commission there's a they're in a consultation at the minute uh, they've put out a, 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 a paper and before Christmas and now there's a consultation phase so I would think it's going to be two to three years before this is on the ground and if we can get the science in place for that at that stage and then invest to, to make this happen at that stage I think it's very important but I couldn't say more clearly for me it's about making sure it's, it's extra money into the system as opposed to doing more for the same. And speaking of just climate measures, you come from a dairy farm yourself. Have you, you know, been cognizant of taking on new measures or implementing new practices on your own farm to promote biodiversity, hedgerows, things like mm. that? Uh, look, at I, my, my farm, my average field size is probably small for the type of farm it is. I think we have an average field size of about, uh, about two and a half hectares or, or, or even smaller, I think. But, but so we would have a lot of hedgerows on our farm as it so happened. We have a number of areas of woodland that I've always never wanted to remove. So I, I, I'd be somewhat in favour of, of that end of it. But equally, at the same time, we are a dairy farm. We are operating on a derogation. You know, so we are at the front line in terms of the management of, of we'd say, nitrates and fertilisers and, and slurry management and all that. So definitely, well, we've embraced the... The, the, the nitrous directive and to be fair I found it very useful in terms of the con con consistent soil uh, soil sampling and making sure our pH is right making sure that the, the where we where we used our slurry was was in locations that maybe the, there wasn't enough P and K in the fields as opposed to in other areas so in that side we have certainly in terms of the biodiversity side we'd be very conscious of 
the amount of hedgerows we've always maintained in the farm and we've well, okay we cut the hedges along the road on a consistent basis but throughout the farm eh, we'd always let them grow on for a number of years and we have various fenced off that are left to, to wildlife so I think that is that, that that bit of it's easily done but I think the whole idea then there's a whole another phase in terms of let's say the whole concept of carbon farming that that I think we really have to get the science first before we so we're taking the right actions there's no point in running down the road at this point and then in two or three years time then find actually it's, it's it, the course should have been slightly different now just to draw your attention to a, another very controversial issue uh, recently and i suppose it, it's quite topical in the sense of uh, both sides of the argument in terms of the welfare of animals during transport. Now, I know that yourself and indeed uh, MEP Billy Kelleher were involved in this uh, debate in Europe. There was a lot of concern at the time about the impact that that legislation, when it was initially proposed, could have had on the live export trade from Ireland. Mm. Um, how important is it that we keep that trade going? And what are your thoughts on the welfare of animals that we do transport from Ireland? I think there was a lot of work done in a year and a half in relation to this. Uh, certainly all the time I was there, I focused particularly on it. Got got some speakers here from Ireland to, to explain what was happening in Ireland. And the one strong thing that came out of it was that across all of Europe, it was recognised in a lot of cases that Ireland was actually the best practice, particularly in the transport of the likely calves and that, that Ireland had best practice across all of Europe in terms of how they, in compliance with regulations and in terms of the standards were there. Even those who were opposed to the animal transport recognised the standards that there was in Ireland. So that, that's the first place we have to st start from. I think secondary to that, you, when you do look into the stats and the figures and that, like the, the, the story from Ireland actually is quite a good story. And what our concern all the time was to get to bring the people who weren't up to standard up to the standard rather than setting ever higher standards for the people who are trying to get the thing right to comply with. And that's why we pushed so hard against some of the measures that were proposed. And some of them, frankly, wouldn't have worked. Like there was a proposal where you, you, you had to keep calves on farm to five weeks, but not so much that it was five weeks, but from there you could move them to holding centres until such time they were weaned. And to me, that was just didn't make sense. Anyone who's practical experience of farming level, if you take calves from farms, you pull them together and you put them in one location, that leads to, to disease issues, mm -hmm. it leads to health and, and welfare problems. We have an antimicrobial resistance challenge there, or antibiotic resistance challenge there. This would only make that 10 times worse. So we, personally, I drove very hard against that for the very reason that I actually found, it, I, I put it to the people that actually what they were proposing, it was a last minute amendment that was put in right at the end. It was not thought out and it wasn't thought out by people with practical experience of the agricultural industry and it actually was going to be counterproductive. It was going to be bad for animal welfare. It was going to cause backlogs on farms. It was going to lead to animals being held in, in holding centres. And okay, previously it was 10 days you could move calves. In practice, there were probably two to three weeks when calves were moving, and now it's at four weeks. I think that was, that was a reasonable compromise. But I think it was so important to avoid this thing of moving calves to holding centres, and that whole scenario. I just think it wasn't going to work. And we, so the, the agreement is at four weeks in relation to that. There's also in relation to like 24 hour to restrictions in terms of how you could transport. Like to, there's a couple of things about this. One, you have to recognise if you put these restrictions in place, you're going to lead to serious animal welfare issues on farms because the number of calves coming out one time a year and being able to manage them 
wouldn't work. So the system that's there is working perfectly. You're not pulling calves. Calves are collected and farmed and moved off in lorries to, to a final destination in one move. So you weren't getting this pooling effect. But equally, in terms of on, on at farm level, you didn't have the, the if you like, the, the pressure, the stress that was put on, on farmers to try and manage extra calves one time. But I think in the longer term, the other thing that's happening in Ireland, which is very important, is this dairy beef index. So probably in the long term, you'd like to get to a situation where less calves are being exported at, at such a young age, like Frisian bull calves. If you could have a, have a, a beef-type calf off the dairy herd that was reasonable beef, then, then there might be a different road for that. And it may be a more, a, let's say, more sustainable model to, do a to have a certain amount of that w within the system. And I think that's something we have to look at as well. But that, and to be fair, that was another argument we made at the time was that look at Ireland's looking at other options here and trying to make other scenarios work as well. But in in the short to medium term, there's a need for the for the animal transport, and I think that that was that was made very. We were very clear about that, and and to be fair, certainly within my own group, I know I personally pushed very hard on this when it came to the vote, the final vote. I, I like there was a number of amendments that. I personally asked for the support of the group, and I think all bar seven of the seven or eight of the group uh, didn't didn't oppose it, like which was brilliant. And like that was, uh, it was people were very impressed with the, the strength of support we got on it, and particularly in the group the way in which it was great to get. Like. Just another issue that has been topical in Europe and in Ireland as well over the last few weeks, Colin. I'm sure you've seen it and discussed it. Is the problems in the pig sector at the moment, and in Ireland there have been protests outside retailers. There have been meetings with the Department of Agriculture. Um, in Europe, the Commissioner for Agriculture has indicated that they won't intervene in terms of market measures. Is it likely that anything will come from Europe on this, given that pig farmers are so pressed at the moment? Well, it's, it's like this has come up at European level, and we spoke on it there at the Ag Committee there twice in the last six or eight weeks and like look the, the situation with regard to pig farmers is clear like it's it's, it's pro approximately about I, I hear figures of in around 35 to 40 euros of, of, of losses per pig which is just quite simple and sustainable it probably books the trend of everybody else in terms of costs are going up on one side but in the uh, it's been matched in other sectors in terms of commodity prices are keeping track with it reasonably anyway but in the pig sector, it's actually gone the opposite direction. So they're, they're, they're hurting really badly. Now, some of the countries in Europe seem to have, like the, the commission are saying that, that some of the major operators have, have pulled against the idea of, state of, of European intervention and, and basically are claiming that that's tied their hands. I'd like to get a little more clarity as regards that. But there is outside of that, the scenario where, let's say, state aid, state aid rules could provide for state, uh, an element of state aid or possibly even the Brexit Adjustment Reserve are two areas that could be looked at. And I know the, the minister is talking about looking at that at the minute, particularly on the, st on the state aid side. But there is a need for, for, for support for the industry and we've made it very strongly. To the, there are some suggestions that certainly on the, on the market side there's, there's some little level of improvement, but some improvement will help, but the kind of losses that have been talked about are unsustainable and definitely I would feel there needs to be an intervention. It seems like the, the state aid type role road might be actually more achievable than the, the looking for direct support from at EU level and I think that may be the road that it'll go. 
Colin Murphy, MEP, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm joined now in studio by Agriland columnist and agri-economist Kieran Fitzgerald and indeed also Richard Halloran, Agriland journalist. And today we're going to be talking about the rising cost of food, food prices on a global scale, Kieran, and indeed input costs for farmers on the ground. First of all, Kieran, let me go to inflation. Inflation is rising, as we know, globally at the moment, particularly in the US, um, but also in Europe. What impact will food pricing have on agri-production here in Ireland, for example? Yeah, I think if you look at the most recent uh, consumer price index uh, figures, food prices have gone up by 1%. Uh, so in terms of a general increase in inflation, I think the, the latest figures are nearly 6%. Food hasn't had uh, much of a contribution, and I think that goes to a 20-year policy, unfortunately, where food ha pricing has become disconnected from the cost of producing food. Um, so, uh, on the one hand, in commodity markets, I think we can expect uh, better returns because commodity markets actually work uh, at a level. But food pricing reflects uh, the policy of food retailers. Uh, in, in recent years, the discounters, but also the supermarkets. So, uh, unfortunately, we have a fairly chronic situation where over a long period of time, a lot of fresh food uh, is sold at or below cost. So, you know, on the one hand, in commodity markets, yes, better return. There has to be a reflection of the of greater cost of, of inputs uh, in terms of pricing at retail level. Uh, there, there is a need for change. There, there, there needs to be legislation brought in, actually, that prevents food from being sold below cost. And Kieran, whose responsibility is that then? I mean, we, we seem to see that there is a disconnect between the advertisements we see on the television, mm. which say, I now shop here, this is how much I have saved on my yeah, weekly yeah. shop, versus the farmers and their families who are out on picket lines and demonstration lines outside retailers saying, we cannot produce this potato, we cannot produce this you know, slice of pork for the below cost you know, yeah. price that it's being sold for. Yeah, I mean, you know, just to, to give you a figure on that, because there's a recent publication by the CSO looks at food inflation and inflation in general in Ireland going back to 2010. And while the cost of living has gone up 8%, the cost of food has gone down 10%. So the real, if you like, inflation impact is, has been min minus 18%. So it's, it's a chronic situation and it needs to be addressed by legislation. The responsibility unfortunately rests between two departments it's it's sort of because the consumer piece of it is with the department of enterprise and the production piece of it is with the department of ag and the department of enterprise have taken a view which is the view of competition authorities that the interests of consumers are best reflected in the interests of the retailers and i would argue that they've actually made a a, a fundamental misconception here in terms of assuming that if the retailer is I in charge of things that all the benefits of low pricing or loss leading are passed back to the consumer they're not um, and again you know just a little bit of detail grocery pricing is probably the only type of pricing where you you, you got multiple prices and multiple products bought so on average you're buying maybe eight between 80 and 100 products uh, you know, research has shown people are very price sensitive on between five and ten of those, which might be the fresh food and fresh veg we talked about. Those products are sold at or below cost. Uh, 
the retailer recovers margin on the other 95. So the retailer is okay. Unfortunately, the supplier of fresh products is getting no return and over a long period of time this becomes a chronic situation. So it needs legislative change. Uh, the Department of Enterprise is responsible for the, the consumer uh, council and for consumer pricing. Uh, but it needs a push from the Department of Agriculture that sort of relates to the fact that you can't have a, you know, a disconnect over 20 years between the cost of producing something and the price of it. Richard, you would agree, I think, that commodity prices are good at the moment and that benefits, I suppose, agriculture. W what do you feel is the feeling on the ground with the farm gate price? Well, at, as we speak, in the here and now, I think farming is in a pretty good place. Farmers are reasonably happy with their lot. We're looking towards 2022. We're, we've come off the back of a 2021 that was that pretty much ticked every box. The weather played fair for us. Um, we had a great harvest. The, we had a tremendous grass growing year. Um, we had a tremendous harvest plus grain prices at all time high levels. Um, all of the key uh, commodity prices as we came to the end of 2021 were all extremely positive. Milk, beef, lamb, I mentioned grain. So we've got that We've got that base to work from as we look t towards 2022. Um, yes, there's a lot of talk at the moment about the increase in fertilizer prices, the, the increase in um, grain feed prices. Uh, that is a reality. Um, but if you look at it from the other side of the production uh, equation, um, farmers will see, I believe, a, 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 a relatively strong period of prices coming at them certainly into 2022. I mean, look at the global uh, dairy trade event at the moment. It's just going forward at a, 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 at a very significant uh, rate. Um, the beef prices were at record high levels. Lamb was tremendous in 2021. Every indicator is that it would be great, very positive again in 2022. Look, I'm old enough to remember when farmers were coming under pressure at both ends of the system strong commodity prices and strong input prices in terms of what they're paying at the farm gate uh, to grow the crops to grow the grass but also being you know uh, coming under pressure real pressure in terms of the milk price that was available to them the beef price that was available to them the lamb price so yes i hear what people say about um fertilizer prices and energy prices and, and the input side of it um strengthening at the moment but it's not all it's by, by no means it's, it, it's not all bad news and you have mentioned a couple of times as well, I suppose, in your articles, Richard, the climate measures that farming in Ireland will have to implement over the next number of years to try and meet our climate targets, uh, something Kieran has often touched on himself. Do you feel that farmers are on board to do this? I think in principle, farming as an industry, it, it recognises two things. Number one, uh, we're part of the, the problem, but we're also part of the solution. I think farmers in that general sense, are very much up for um, a drive into the future and looking at improving their efficiency. I mean, there is a clear link between improved efficiency and reducing the carbon footprint of your business. That's fact. That's taken as fact. And there will be a tremendous focus on that very issue over the next 10, 20 years into the future. But what farmers will not be up for is um, any linkage between the output coming off their farms and emission levels. I think that's going to be a big, um, that, that, that there will be a major discussion debate on that particular point over the next, well, it's, 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 it's already starting. But farmers are not going, sir, if you take dairy as a case in point, okay, 
Dairy farmers, to use the expression, were under the yoke of milk quotas for 30 years. Milk quotas came to an end, I think it was four, maybe five years ago. I can tell you there's not one Irish dairy farmer that sees a future within milk production is going to take one extra day of milk quotas, whatever term you put around it. Um, Kieran, to bring you in mm. on this one as well, one of our biggest exports is dairy and our dairy products. The Food Vision Dairy Group has now been established and I suppose the rumour or the talk was could this be the reintroduction of milk quotas to Ireland? Now, of course, the, the chair of this particular group, the former Chagas director, Professor Jerry Boyle, has said that's not on his agenda. The minister said he's not looking to reduce dairy output. But what sort of impact would that have on our economy and what agriculture contributes to yeah. our economic outlook if dairy was in any way to be curtailed or stayed at what it is? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there is a huge issue here. That, and, and at the moment, there's a lot of dancing around you know, the, the issue. Uh, I think the reality is if you look at the carbon budgets that have been set and if you look at the, the legislation, there is a cap. And we're in a phase now where emissions have to be, uh, emission increases have to be stabilised and they have to be reduced. So if you take stabilisation first and then reduction, the question really is how is that implemented in a way that doesn't totally impact on productivity, say? Uh, and uh, if I if I take a step back and going back to the point uh, Richard has made about you know uh, the quotas, so up to 2015 we produced five billion liters of milk. Last year we produced nine billion. The contribution to the Irish economy has been phenomenal. Uh, I think if you look at it in terms of Irish economy expenditure, uh, there's a now over a billion and a half euros spent every year in the Irish economy more because of milk quotas, milk quotas being abolished and increase in milk production that wasn't there before. That is a huge contribution because it all goes back into the Irish economy. It buys Irish goods and Irish. There's a huge multiplier effect. Now, if, if, if we look at the imperative of the, the, the climate change piece and we say we have to reduce emissions, what we have to look at, as well as the, the technical aspects of that and the huge cost of that is, in, in the first instance, we're, we're foregoing further economic opportunity. And, and that's not easily foregone. So growth has given us economic impact. So we're, you know, we're, we're walking away from that if we put a cap. So we really have to look at a measure that, uh, that applies this uh, reduction in emissions in such a way that you don't kill off productivity. And uh, I'd be concerned that the, you know, at a political level, we're, we're in two sets of, of, of sort of conversations. One is agriculture must get its uh, business in line. It must, it can't get a free ride, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, in, if I look at the last two years, I'd be hugely concerned that an awful lot of the characterization of agriculture, particularly from the environmental side of things, has just been, you know, nasty and abusive and ridiculous. So uh, I'd make the point, why does it need to be? You can make a point in an Irish um, climate change context that says that every sector must do its piece, but you also have to make the point, which is you know part of the UN agreement, uh, the Paris Accord that says that the implementation of restraints uh, should not be done uh, to the cost of food production. So there's a balancing piece in there. We haven't had balance in the Irish media, in particular the mainstream, about climate change and agriculture 
in the last two years. I'd be hugely concerned with that. So all of that is by way of saying I think that uh, if there's a little bit more balance, a little bit more sobriety, and a little bit more um, you know, consensus, we can achieve a situation where we, we stop the, the increase in emissions and begin to look at reductions. Uh, but it needs to be done on the basis of, of balancing the economics with the environmental impact. I mean, clearly, the environmental impact has to be addressed. There are issues on water quality that have to be addressed. No issue with any of those things. But we have to do it in a, in a balanced fashion, and we can't do it against this backdrop of continuing mischaracterization of food production. And, you know, I'd go back to the last two years and the horror show that has been right across the economy and society of COVID, and yet the food industry and, and farmers, you know, met their targets, continued to meet production targets, kept the show on the road, not only fed the nation, but fed, uh, you know, exported 80% uh, of their product to... to countries where food service was closed and restaurants were closed over there and that that hasn't really been acknowledged i don't think the, the huge achievement of that and what we've had instead instead is this i i would say small islandism around the mischaracterization of anything in agriculture as being well ag is about emissions it's not it's fundamentally about farming and it's fundamentally about you know rural economics and then its contribution to the national economy and the production of food uh, and it happens to be something that we're really good at so i think that balancing piece needs to be brought back into the situation so that we can achieve the, the desired outcome which is at the moment let's cut emissions let's uh, and then let's work at ways in which we reduce them richard would you say that there has been a mischaracterization of agriculture in Ireland. Do you think there is a disconnect between the consumer, you and I, I suppose, that eat the food every day? Do you think there's a disconnect between the consumer and where the food comes from and what it takes to produce that food? Total. I couldn't agree more with what uh, Kieran has just said. I mean, we can feed 25 million people as an industry, as a farming industry on this on, in this country. I mean, we've got to keep that the forefront in terms of our thinking moving forward. The other key message that I feel has been lost totally in relation to the uh, discussion, the debate on climate change is we are unique in the world, within the world, in being able to grow grass. It is our ace, in, it is our ace card in the pack. It is a tremendous asset that we have. The other countries around the world would give uh, whatever to be able to do what we can do so naturally. Producing milk from grass, grass, producing beef from grass, grass, producing sheep from grass, grass. It's the most natural way to produce food. And yet, I believe, we, we feel miserably in communicating that very key point to the world. But at some stage within this debate, I think uh, we've got to broaden it out to look at f um, the fact that the world's population is growing. We've been hearing that the last decade but the, the fundamentals are there i mean the reality is the world the, the population is growing we will we will hit this nine billion target or nine and a half billion target of a human population by 2050 and ireland surely has got to be you know part of that solution in meeting that demand for the extra food you mentioned and we can do sorry and we can do that in a very um natural way and in a very environmentally friendly way that's what I was just about to mention there. You mentioned about the grass-based diet that we can rear our animals, our livestock on. There's a currently an application for PGI status for Irish grass-fed beef with the European uh, Commission at the moment that Ireland and Borbia have put forward. In terms of 
what's coming from Europe because essentially all of these regulations come from Europe. You know, as, as a block, we have agreed that we need to tackle um, climate change uh, globally and in particular in Europe. So these regulations come from Europe. But has Europe taken into account our unique position, A, as an island, and B, as an agricultural industry that predominantly is grass-based? I don't think so. But I think that's an argument that we have to put back to Europe. Or I think is it the Minister but I think for Agriculture's responsibility, oh, truly, Richard? Yes. Yeah, very Should much so. he have conveyed yeah. that more? Well, it, it's an ongoing discussion. I think we're coming to the very end of the, of the ongoing CAP review. Uh, one of the positives coming out of it for me is the fact that there will be more scope for Ireland uh, as a nation to look at domestic funding opportunities uh, for agriculture, more so than would have been the case in the day. I think ge genuinely Brussels now rec recognises that within you know, a, ma a block of 27 member states. What happens within Bulgaria in terms of that country's agriculture is fundamentally different and will be different always relative to what we do in this country. So I think you're seeing the start of a recognition of Brussels with, you know, within the European Commission that there must be more, more flexibility uh, allowed um, in terms of how the, the common agriculture policy um, is delivered. And I think within that scenario, you will see more scope for the Irish government at a national level to put more national funding towards towards agriculture. Yes, here, because a lot of people, for example, would argue that the Mercosur deal does nothing for Ireland. In fact, it threatens Ireland's export um, ability in terms of beef, and that suited other, perhaps, European countries more. Um, and, and that's why that was adopted at the time. You know... Is our unique ability and our ability particularly to export a little overlooked in the grand European context at times? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a number of disconnects uh, because if, if you go back to the principle of what were the biggest challenge, the existential challenge facing agriculture is the environmental and climate change one. I think we have to all accept that. We have to accept the concern that the, 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 you know, the climate is overheating and there are huge impacts. So we have to look at ways in which we stop the increasing in emissions. We have to look at ways in which we reduce. Now, if you look at the principle of that, then other, you know, and, and, and look at that consistently, well, carbon leakage is not a good thing in that context. So we're trying to deal with a global problem, but we sign a deal with Mercosur, which sees an increase in Brazilian production, which is going to be driven by um, deforestation over there, and so the overall impact of that deal in climate, uh, uh, in a climate context, is more emissions. That is not clever. You look at the EU Green Deal and a number of studies, uh, both internally within the EU and um, internationally, have looked at that and said, well, hold on a minute. If you do this and you suppress European production, including Irish, global emissions will go up because the suppressed European and Irish production will be replaced by as I mentioned, Brazilian in terms of beef, but in places like India and Pakistan and dairy, where emissions are 10 times the amount that they are. So there hasn't been this squaring of the circle. And what, what we have is isolated, if you like, uh, one-off almost issues. So in Ireland, driven largely by you know, the coalition that we have and the concerns of the Green Party, which at, at one level are legitimate concerns, but there's an obsession with the suppression of Irish agriculture uh, to you know, without looking at any global impact of it, an absolute obsession with livestock production and the suppression of it, which, which par is partly ideological. So, you know, 
you, what you do find in Brussels is that there is a much better recognition of the fact that Irish agriculture is different from the rest and that there's a different economic impact as well as a different climate impact. That's recognised, but it's not... At the moment, there, there's a harder fight at home to get this recognition. Uh, and I, I, I've, I've said before, there are two sets of accounts that, that uh, if you like, um, lead to misinterpretation of agriculture's uh, importance. The first is the economic accounts. We have this famous GDP, which has 180 billion, 180 billion euros a year of transfer money that's in for a day and then goes back to where it goes back to. So our GDP then comes right back down. Now, the point of that is, if you look at Ireland in a, an official uh, and agriculture in an official GDP figure were one or two percent. If you look at agriculture in terms of its real economic impact, it's one job in eight in the economy. So that's a set of accounts that doesn't do justice and tends to be dismissive. And the climate accounts don't do justice because I in the mix of putting together what needs to be done, and I accept there has to be legislation and carbon budgets, but we seem to have walked away from the fact that uh, there has to be uh, a balancing of emissions reductions with uh, an ability to produce food. Uh, and we've also seen uh, that it has been rejected here that we should have a biogenic methane accounting system. Like New Zealand has gone for that. It's been allowed to meet its commitments and has had that registered with the UN as being compatible. We haven't. So we have a very punitive set of accounts at one level. Yes, we all have to do right, and yes, we have to be concerned about climate and environmental. But the, the, you know, the account system that's been offered to us is quite punitive. Uh, and, and yet it seems in the last number of years there's a far greater understanding at European level and globally of this overall balance than there is in Ireland. There's, as I said, there's a certain obsession in Ireland with um, constricting Irish production uh, without any sense that this leads to a, a, an increase in global emissions, and that can't be right. Richard, in terms, finally, of the dairy output of this country, which is, I suppose, primarily what we're focusing on at the moment now, I know there will be these food vision committees for other sectors as well, but what sort of message do you think that's sending out to the dairy industry? Can you see processors becoming involved in this where they are putting limits on supply? Can you see new entrants into dairy being disheartened or disillusioned, you know, generational renewal won't become a, a thing in dairy farms if they can't renew, if there's going to be some sort of restrictions on the industry? Well, pro to, to, to answer your point directly, processors are already involved with this uh, group uh, that met for the first time um, earlier this week. Um, the farmers are very concerned that out of this will come some form of proposal that will link, formally link milk output with emission reduction targets. But to come back to, the, I think, the fundamental point in terms of where we're going um, and farmers' perception of the way they feel they've been treated within this environmental debate at the moment. Uh, one of the big issues that they, 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 they find it very, very hard uh, to deal with is there seems to be, no, not, not seems to be, there is no recognition as yet in terms of the actual carbon sequestration that is taking place on farms, on every farm in this country, courtesy of the soils that farms are, uh, the farmers are managing, their hedgerows, their trees. We have yet to get a figure in terms of what that sequestration level is, and that has not been factored into the debate in any real sense at all. And farmers, I feel, are justifiably angry about that um, because, as I said, they're, they see, yes, they're up for a deal. They want 
to bring the carbon footprint of agriculture down. Of that, there's no doubt. They are up for the deal. They see what's coming down the track. They know they have got to address this issue. Um, but they want it uh, on the basis of let's have a, a fair and equitable starting point. That's not there at the moment. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us, Richard Halloran and indeed Kieran Fitzgerald. Remember, you can keep up to date on the latest agri news on the AgriLand website and the AgriLand app.